you have to understand how to ask questions. If you ask the wrong question, uh, you will not get an answer. And this is what atheists do sometimes. So if I would ask someone who, who does not have kids, and I will say, what's the name of your kids? And he say, I don't have a kid. And he say, no, I asked you a question. Well, what's the name of your kids? No, it's a dumb question because you're asking someone who does not have a kid, what's the name of his kids? So to get the right answers, you have to ask the right questions first. Our guest for this session, Sheikh Abdullah Swidi, a Swedish Muslim revert, PhD holder from the Islamic University of Medina, from the Faculty of Da'wah and Usuluddin. He teaches at Masjid Anabawi in Medina for the English listeners. In this episode titled, Is Islam Rational? The objective of this discussion is to clear the misconception regarding the Islamic view on rational thinking. Sheikh would answer questions such as, what is rational thinking? How to identify true rational thinking? Because every religion and philosophy claim that they are rational. How is ibadah rational? Our guest also shares methods of preventing and solutions to problem of widespread ideologies that are far from the fall of Islam. Welcome to the Barakah Ifat Podcast. Join us building a community of high achievers striving for continuous growth and excellence here and hereafter. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu was salam ala khayri al-khalkillah, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, brothers and sisters. Welcome to yet another episode of the Barakah Effect podcast. Today, our topic of discussion is, is Islam rational? And today we have a very special guest, mashallah tabarakallah, uh, coming all the way from Madinatul Nabi, Madinatul uh, Madinat Nawara, Dr. Abdullah Aswaydi, hafizahullah uh, ta'ala, ahsanallahu ilaikum, ya shaykhana, kaifahalukum, how are you? How are you today? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. How are you doing yourself? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We're good. How's everything? Very good? Alhamdulillah. Ayakallah, Shaykh. So, first and foremost, inshallah, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this opportunity to have uh, you, Shaykh, uh, as our guest. And thank you so much for making uh, time to join us today. I know you're uh, very busy, and uh, therefore, we thank you so much. We are really glad. Uh, and we are really excited to have you uh, on the show with us today, alhamdulillah. So um, allow me to just probably just, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a background about uh, our guest for today, Dr. Abdullah Swedi. Um, inshallah for the audience to uh, know a little bit better uh, about uh, the guest today. So Dr. Abdullah Swedi is a Swedish Muslim revert, currently living in Medina uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sheikh, uh, but uh, the Sheikh here recently uh, got his PhD, right, from the Islamic University of Medina, uh, from yeah. uh, the College of uh, Da'wah and Asuruddin. Is that yes. correct? Barakallahu feekum. MashaAllah. Nafa'allahu And Allah barik And And he's also a teacher at uh, the Masjid, uh, Masjid Nabawi. Um, he teaches in the English, English section. And he manages... Uh, Yaqeen, Yaqeen Center for Countering 
atheism and agnosticism. Is that correct, Sheikh? Is a yakin li naqd li ilhad ilhad wa wa la diniyah. Sahih. Yeah, it's a it's an organization has Saudi Arabia by the name Yaqeen. Exactly. Barakallahu Okay. Uh, okay. Just uh, for your information, guys, uh, and to, for the audience, inshallah, I personally got to know Dr. Abdullah back in 2019. Yeah, back in 2019, uh, where he had this uh, short course. He had this short short course uh, entitled Al Istidlal wa Ala Wujudillah fi Muhawaratil Mustash Mustash Yeah, Mutashakikin. Al Istidlal wa Ala Wujudillah fi Muhawaratil Mutashakikin. So basically, uh, it means like how to reason with those who have doubts uh, with about the re existence of God. So it was an amazing course, and perhaps in the future, uh, Sheikh, we can host a similar one in English, inshallah, if that's yeah, uh, if that's possible, inshallah. All right. Uh, without further ado, inshallah, um, we know a little bit about you, Sheikh, but uh, can you tell us a bit more about your background, Sheikh? Uh, where were you born? Where were you born? And uh, so on and so forth. How did you embrace Islam? Tafadal, Shaykhna, Barakallahu fikum. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa salatu wa salam ala shifal anbiya wa mursaleen abina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Ajma'in. Is my voice clear? Can you hear me good, well? Yeah, very clear. Yes, perfect. Alhamdulillah. Uh, yeah, like uh, our brother said, uh, my name is Abdullah. Uh, originally, my name is Johannes. I'm from Sweden. Uh, I converted to Islam when I was about uh, 16 or 17 years old, uh, that age, when I was still in the gymnasium. And uh, the reason why I became a Muslim, uh, there are many reasons what happened, but I had, uh, I'm from a Swedish family and uh, most of my surroundings, there were Swedes too. But I had some friends that were Muslims, but what, none of them were really practicing. Uh, but I started to ask myself some uh, existential questions when I was about uh, 16 years old. And that led me to read books about, uh, uh, about different religions. I got interested about religions, how religions uh, explain these existential questions. So uh, I read about Christianity and Judaism, Hinduism, and different religions. And then when I started to read about Islam, I saw that Islam got uh, actually more rational answers to the questions that I used to have. Uh, and then I started to read the Quran and uh, I, I, it affected me a lot, especially when I read some surah. Uh, I remember when I read Surah Al-Fatiha, especially about uh, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be guided to the straight path. And I felt uh, a bit confused with all the different religions and how they answered different existential questions and so on. So uh, when I read about Islam, uh, it really affected me. And uh, I started to make dua uh, by, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would guide me to the straight path because I started to believe in God. Uh, so yeah, that, that led me to come to the mosque. And in the end, I accepted Islam uh, when I was uh, 16, 17 years old. Uh, I continued to live in Sweden till I finished the gymnasium. And then I traveled outside of Sweden to study Arabic. I went to the United Arab Emirates and I went to Yemen. Uh, and I studied there for in these two countries for about nine months. So I learned Arabic over there. And then I got accepted to Islamic University in Medina. 
I was 19 years old. Uh, so I went over there and I studied uh, first a bachelor's uh, in Sharia and uh, fiqh. Uh, and then uh, I got accepted to master's and uh, then to PhD. And now, alhamdulillah, I finished my PhD. So this is uh, just a short, uh, small introduction about myself and how I converted to Islam. Mashallah, barakallah, Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, so just a question, how, how did your family respond to your reversion or conversion to Islam? Uh, if you mind sharing it with us, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, like I, I converted to Islam in 2002. That's just one year after 9-11. So I was, uh, was speaking about Islam in a bad manner in, uh, uh, in the media in those days. So uh, my family, and even before, didn't have a good picture of Islam. So when they heard that I become a Muslim, it was uh, quite hard for them in the beginning, and there were a lot of conflicts and so on. That was actually one of the reasons why I also decided that I wanted to move from from Sweden to study outside uh, of Sweden. So uh, in the beginning, it was hard, but Alhamdulillah, I mean, we learned in Islam that even if our families uh, are not Muslims, that we should keep good relations with them and be good to them and so on. So Alhamdulillah. After a while, uh, my relation to them got much better. And Alhamdulillah, everything's very good now. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, That's uh, really, really nice to hear. So they, they, their misconceptions about Islam, would you say, you know, they, uh, it's totally gone, right? After, after, after all these years, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They learn more. In many ways, but still, of course, the, like the media is always given a bad picture of Islam. You, uh, in general and uh, so in some instances it can be worse like when it was the in war in syria and so on they started to talk about islam once again and they had different terrorist or terrorist organizations and so on uh, all of these things make people speak about islam much more in a bad way but alhamdulillah things are, are much better if you don't mind me asking uh, you, you mentioned you finished gymnasium uh, what does that mean? Is it like the gym gym or <laughs> do we no, understand it wrong? It's the same as high school. It's another name for high school. So ah, okay. Sorry, sorry, oh, okay. Saying, I yeah? see. Yeah, in some countries, they say the gymnasium. In some countries, they say high school uh, before before uh, university. Okay, mashallah. Mashallah. Because when you say what that, you except the, yeah, high school, high school, secondary it's school. High school. Yeah. Because when you said gymnasium, uh, accepted Islam during gymnasium, um, oh, we had a different picture. <laughs> I was That's not familiar with that term. Yeah, we just call, simply call it high school or secondary school, right, brothers? Uh, secondary school, yeah. Okay, mashallah, uh, tabarakallah. Probably we can jump right into the main discussion, inshallah, um, about, uh, you know, the main topic we're going to discuss today is, uh, as I mentioned, is Islam rational? So before that, um, I would like, uh, you know, inshallah, the, the, the Sheikh to share with us, you know, your story on calling people to Islam. For instance, like, how did you get to know about Islam? Okay, I'm, I know you, you've answered that, but, you know, it's such a small minority demographic, right? In Sweden, you know, there, I believe there's no much, there's not much uh, Muslims living there. Right? But mashallah, tabarakallah, uh, but you manage, as well, uh, you, you manage to understand that Islam is, uh, is is a religion that you know uh, that upholds the truth and so on and so forth, right? But um, 
is there is there more to it, Sheikh, uh, uh, than just you know just discovering the uh, the world, the, the 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 religions of the world by yourself? Maybe you meet you meet you meet a Sheikh or you meet a, a student of knowledge while you were there. Is there more to that, Michelle? Uh, uh, no, it was not so much that I uh, I, I met Muslims. I met Muslims after I became a, a Muslim, and also straight straight before, and I had some friends and so on. But it was actually like when I was reading about Islam, uh, and I was reading about the different religions, I had some criterion. Uh, and one of the most important criterion that the religion has to be uh, rational, that it has to be something that I can uh, that I can accept. And I came from, even though my family uh, were, most of them were atheists uh, and agnostics, uh, Some uh, I came from a Christian background, because Sweden is a Christian country in, in, uh, originally. So... When I read about Christianity, uh, especially about the Trinity and so on, I, I thought that this this does not make sense. And it was the same thing really when I, I read about uh, atheism, that how can the whole universe came about to exist, come about to existence without a creator? And how can everything that is here that is created, how can not have a creator? I thought that was like, uh, that was irrational. So it had to have an explanation. Everything that starts to exist has to have someone that may exist and so on. So this is a rational thinking uh, and it's basic rational thinking. Like we're sitting here in front of a camera and in front of a computer and no one would say that this computer came about by itself because it's complicated and it's well designed. And if it's well designed and it's complicated, it has to have a creator. It has to have a designer. It has to have someone that made it. So this is just basic rational thinking. Um, so uh, when I saw atheism, I saw like, okay, this is uh, this does not really make sense. And there are many other things in atheism that does not that does not make sense too. And one of the basic things is like uh, atheism can't really be, uh, answer any of the basic existential questions that people have. Uh, the basic existential questions that most people ask is where did I come from? Like who is my creator? What's the meaning and the purpose of life? And what will happen after death? And atheism will say, no, there's no creator. Just came about by chance uh, and through evolution. And what's the meaning of life? There is no actual meaning of life. You can have your own uh, subjective meaning of life, but there's no objective meaning of life for all of humankind. And nothing happens after death when you die. So I, I think that this really leads people who, came, who come from an atheist background to search for something more because uh, this, is, this is not answers to, to the questions that people really have. And people as uh, human beings, they have this tendency to ask these kind of questions. This, this, that's why it's called existential questions. Like all mm. uh, people... Uh, in one way or another, they ask themselves these kind of questions. Uh, so uh, that led me to try to find the answers in different religions. And when I saw other religions, how they try to explain it, like Hinduism, they have millions of different gods uh, that they try to explain the existence with, and and they worship different gods and so on. I thought, like, this, this can't be rational too. This is something that's, uh, that's not logical at all. Uh, and the same thing with uh, Judaism, like Judaism, they say, if you read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, 
the whole book, almost the whole book is just about uh, the Israelites, about Bani Israel. Like they are the only people on earth. There's no one else there. And that God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, like they say in the beginning of the book, uh, only cares about one people uh, living in a certain area. Uh, and what about the rest of the people? What about the people living in Malaysia? What about the people living in Sweden and so on? Why is it only focusing on the people uh, on one tribe or, or one people, uh, the people of Israel? So I thought that that was also quite strange. When I saw like that Islam had a universal message for everyone, and it's much more straightforward than, uh, than Christianity. Christianity is like, they believe that uh, the whole Old Testament, God is only one. They only speak about one God. And then in, in the New Testament, they say, no, God also have a son. And the son, he offered himself for, for the creation, to, for the sins. And then there's actually three different persons in God. And God is one. At the same time, God is three. And they are, they are three different persons. You have the God and you have the son and the Holy Ghost. And they are the same at the same time. They're not the same and so on. So all these things just sound very strange. And also the whole concept that uh, of the or original sin, that uh, because Adam, and he said, he ate from the tree, he ate the apple, like they said, uh, he got the original sin and humankind became sinful after that. So all of us are sinful just because of what Adam made uh, thousands of thousands of years ago and that's also pretty strange for me and how someone like jesus can be responsible uh, to take all of the sins of humankind on himself and just by believing in him you will be forgiven for your sins and so on so all these things was just like i was reading book after book after book about these different religions i said no no this can't be true this can't be true uh, so when i started to read about islam I saw it was much more straightforward. Uh, there's one creator who created everything. And of course, it has to be a creator because everything is, that is created has to have a creator. Uh, and this creator uh, created us for a purpose. And so there's a purpose of life. And he sent messengers and prophets to explain the message for us. And the last of them, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, came with all of these different signs, showed that he was truly a prophet from, from God. So uh, it, it all makes sense. So, yeah, and this is uh, one of the main reasons that led me to, to Islam. Mashallah. Sheikh, you were able to objectively make these sort of observations during that time when you were around this age of 16, 17 years old? Yeah, alhamdulillah. I, was, uh, and, uh, I, I can't say it was 20 years ago. Uh, exactly what kind of questions I had, 100%, but it was these kind of things that I was thinking about, and it was these kind of books that I read, so it was all about these kind of things. Uh, and like I said, I used to, I came from a Christian background. I even went for what's called confirmation that they do when, when you're 15 years old. You go to the church and go to, to lectures and so on. And I went there and I le uh, listened to the priest, and I was like, okay, this is, uh, this does not make sense. I, I don't want to be here. So I even quit the courses when I was there. And like I said, the same thing, even when I read about evolution theory and how they tried to explain how, because we were studying that in, in school, uh, how they try to explain how all of the creatures, living creatures came about. 
uh, and how humankind came about and so on. I, I thought like, okay, this is something uh, quite strange here and this can't, can't really explain all these things. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of questions in those days. Yeah, a question because you mentioned about, about uh, uh, the evolution theory, yeah? And perhaps in your, in your community, there's, there's a lot of uh, atheists and agnostics, yeah? Like, um, from, from their point of view, probably from your conversation with them, yeah, what actually drove them, uh, enticed them towards uh, atheism? Is it is it because peer pressure? Is it because the need of not being attached to something? Or is it just pure conviction of the of the Darwin theory? Or, or leap of faith, or should I say, in the Darwin theory? What, what, what actually drives them to... To, to, to uh, like uh, atheism is growing, especially on the, in, in, in Europe nowadays. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think uh, it's quite wrong if we try try to generalize all people to say this is the reason of atheism. The reason of atheism is because people believe in uh, Darwinian evolution. Or the reason of atheism is because the church in in Europe used to oppress people and so on. There are People are different. People have different reasons why they become religious and why they become non-religious. So I think there are many different reasons. And I think in, in Europe, uh, many people are not actually real atheists. Uh, most of them have some kind of secularism where they say that uh, I'm or they, what is called apatheism. They're not like interested when it comes to religion or there are agnostics that they say, I don't really know. I haven't studied the subject and so on. Because the whole secular, secular culture that they have, making people so busy with other things, with worldly matters and material things and so on, it makes people uh, not really focusing on these basic uh, existential questions and so on. So I think... Uh, there are people that are hardcore atheists that really try to read books about atheism and try to be like, uh, and they are anti-theists, they are against religion at the same time and so on. You have these people, but most people that I meet in Sweden, they, they just don't care so much. They're just focusing on their material life and they're, they're not focusing on the on the spiritual questions or that they have some kind of spirituality. You have these kind of new age groups that, People uh, are going for yoga and meditation and these kind of things. But when it comes to uh, traditional organized religions, then they're not really like uh, religious in that sense. So people have some kind of religiosity, but not this, uh, not like uh, affiliating themselves to specific religions and so on. That's one thing that's interesting about, about um uh, atheism, uh, like even one, I think one of the uh, four horsemen of atheism himself in an interview, he himself uh, said that he could not 100% uh, prove that God is actually non-existent. I mean, it was Richard Dawkins, if I'm not mistaken, was the person, yeah? And, and, and uh, so even, even for him, who's, uh, who's like the, the, I would say like the imam of atheism, he, he himself could not be 100% sure, yeah? MashaAllah. Yeah, yeah, I think most of them are like that. There, there's very seldom that someone say, I am 100% sure that it's not like that. People are, I think uh, Richard Dawkins has said, like it's on a scale one to seven. You have those who are completely sure and those who are completely unsure. And I'm on the uh, scale six of seven or something like that. So people are on different sides when it comes to how sure they are. Uh, I think that the education system uh, plays uh, a big role, how people are educated over there. 
that they try to make it seem like uh, religion is just by uh, about beliefs. It's not about knowledge. It's not about science. It's not about true uh, certainty and so on. And then you have scientific knowledge that is 100% sure and so on. And even that, it's like, uh, uh, I read a book about, uh, it's called uh, Science Delusion, uh, or, or named like that. Uh, it says that if you take a science book that is older than three years today, it will usually not help you so much. And if you would go now and you study biology or physics uh, with a book that is 250 years old, someone would just laugh. You can't take old books because science is always developing. So something that people were sure about 50 years ago, they say, no, it's not, it's not like that at all. You can just take a question like, uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, a uh, question about uh, uh, the origin of the universe. In the beginning of the 20th century, uh, almost all atheists said that the uh, uh, universe was eternal. And then when they found out about the Big Bang Theory, they started to believe that it's not eternal. So it was just the total opposite, that it had a beginning. And then they started to talk about uh, multiverse theory. They say, no, there's actually trillions of trillions of trillions of different universes. Even though we can uh, really prove that, we believe in that and so on. So they changed it 180 degrees one more time and so on. So uh, to say that, uh, religion is not about knowledge and science is true knowledge and so on. That, that's not true because science is always changing. There's always new uh, and all, also in, in one subject the, uh, of science or in one field of science, there can be a lot of different theories and these theories are going straight against one another. So uh, even today you can have in one subject, when you study, you will study five or six or seven different theories. And they go against one another. So how can you say that science is 100% sure? It's not something that is called science that all scientists are agreed upon. You have different scientists and they have different uh, convictions and they have different theories and they have different methods to reach that. And they go back to different ph philosophies and so on. So all of these things show us that uh, science, even though some things can be uh, more sure than others, then it can't be 100% sure. So to say that religion is unsure and religion is just about belief, no, that's not true. You have some things in religion that are 100% sure. You have some things that we even say in Islam that you can't say with 100% uh, certainty that it's sure. Uh, that you have different opinions in, in some, uh, some questions of fiqh. So you can't say, I'm 100% sure that this is the only opinion that is correct. No, there can be some things in religion too, there can be, be uncertain uh, too. So speaking in these general terms uh, does not really help. Uh, mm. And also, Sheikh, I noticed like, for instance, like uh, uh, when they accepted a theory, like for instance from Charles Darwin, yeah? So they, they accepted at the face value of that theory, but they didn't, they didn't actually look at what, how he was as a person, because from one of your talks, we fighting with Paul Williams in blogging theology, you kind of like exposed this, the kind of uh, mentality uh, the racist uh, mentality that, that that Charles had, right? So that was that was the first time I'm hearing it, and I did a bit more reading after that. And, and uh, mashallah, it's quite uh, it's actually very uh, demoralizing and uh, to take someone of that nature, stature, and and be, make it like a like a role model in society, yeah, Sheikh. Subhanallah, it's uh, but they don't. I mean, this is go. It goes against the, the values that that most uh, Western countries goes like like human rights and so on. But 
what their role model uh, is doing is that this is the complete opposite, yeah? <laughs> SubhanAllah. Yeah, you can see like uh, the, the, the theory of Darwin was in the beginning, it was a biological theory about, uh, about uh, <coughs> living beings. But uh, his, his first cousin himself took the theory and applied it to social sciences. So it became what they call scientific racism, where they put people in different races. So they say some races are more developed than other races. And also uh -huh. Charles Darwin himself, he spoke about that subject and he said that there are some races that are savage races and the more civilized races will kill and destroy and exterminate the, uh, the savage races and so on. So he was a racist himself and they used this theory for a lot of bad things during colonization and they saw themselves that they were more developed so they had the right just as the lion have the right as being a lion or something bad when the lion eats a gazelle or eats another animal it's just doing what it's uh, it's just stronger so it, ha it has the right to do what it can and this is how they saw themselves when they're colonizing different uh, countries that they saw okay we come from Europe and we are more developed uh, based on our theories. So we have the right to colonize them. We have the right to take their things. We are the stronger. We are the more, uh, we are more fittest. So we have the survival of the fittest. So we have the right to, to do what we do. So it became a basis for their colonization and their racist politics that they used to implement. It's really mind opening, Sheikh. Uh, you were saying that uh, as a researcher at the Islamic University of Medina, right, you are spe you specialize in, uh, you know, answering and combating the ideologies of atheism and its branches. Um, you know, uh, do you do, do you find any challenges, uh, internal or external challenges that you face, you know, while uh, while pursuing this path of you know uncovering, you know, the the, the false ideologies of. Uh, modern day atheism so on and so forth perhaps it may benefit the, the listeners you know um that have the same passion uh, in 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 in, uh, in in you know uh combating uh, atheism and agnosticism Sheikh, do you find any challenges and i can say like when it comes to to working on these things as a researcher in saudi arabia uh, saudi arabia is a muslim country so it's uh, you don't really meet the kind of challenges from society rather the the opposite like uh, the university and the establishment and the society they like that you speak about these subjects so it's not uh, it's not a taboo over there but when you start to work with these things and challenge the worldview that people have in other countries like sweden and, and western countries then it's much more sensitive of course because you are really challenging their basic worldview that they have and also the worldview of their societies and so on. And that's sensitive, of course. So when they see that you really can uh, debate and argue and they try to secularize Muslims and they try to westernize Muslim countries and they see a Westerner himself is coming uh, and trying to make people more religious and coming to religion, of course, that's sensitive. And, and you always have people that don't like these things. So they will work against you and do what they can to, to stop what you're doing and so on. So that that's uh, that's a part of dawah. That's the that's a part of dawah 
for for the prophets and it's a part of Dao for all people who walked on the on the path of the prophets too. So so it's quite natural. Uh, when it comes to working with these things, uh, if you study aqidah usually, uh, you will uh, study subjects that scholars from from the past used to speak about. So you will have uh, a lot of books uh, written about different subjects uh, in aqidah. But some of the subjects that you speak about today or they speak about today with these modern uh, ideologists, there are new ideologies and there are new doubts that they bring and there are new uh, theories that they have and so on. So you can't really, uh, you can take some benefit, of course, from the older books, from Aqidah, but there are so much new things that you have to look for new answers for the new doubts that they have. Uh, and the problem, especially when it comes to combating these new ideologies that you have, that they, uh, there are so many different things that they are speaking about. So uh, you have to learn about these different things. You have to learn about biology. You have to learn about cosmology. You have to learn about psychology and sociology, uh, sociology and so on. And these different subjects to understand them and how they try to secularize and how they try to spread atheism and so on through these different subjects. So you have to be, uh, uh, you have to have a lot of knowledge about different subjects to understand how to combat these things. It's not like when you study uh, tafsir, you only have to focus on tafsir and the Arabic language and, and maybe some hadith and so on. It's not so many different subjects here. It's like, uh, it's going into all of these different things. Uh, so you have to, to study a lot of different subjects to understand them. Like, like classical context, sometimes in the past, they, they try to uh, talk a bit about Mulhid, the topic of uh, eight years. Yeah? Like uh, you give some, some good example, like the, the doubt is growing from all these ideologies. Yeah? Like uh, in terms of branch of atheism, uh, how, does it, how does it grow from the from classical scholars and present time researcher? How, how does it, does the branch gets double up, triple up, or, or how does it go? Like, uh, uh, excuse me, I didn't really hear you so well. When you're so, for instance, like like uh, like uh, the the subject of multi in the past, yeah, maybe previous scholars. I'm not too sure who. Maybe in Rajab Ibn Taymiyyah, maybe they have something on that. How does that? Yeah, how how did they uh, define uh, multi in the past compared to uh, present time in terms of like a uh, uh, you know like, like Al Kalam? They, they they try to divert. I mean, they, they branch out into so many so many groups, yeah. Like atheism in the past and nowadays, does it branch? Does the double? Does the branch gets doubled up, or or, or, or we or do we have a, a more a better uh, criteria to 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 segregate each of the beliefs of 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 atheists nowadays? Uh, first of all, like atheism, the more the modern kind of material materialistic atheism that we have today is something quite new. It really started about 250 years ago uh, in, in France. Before you had people that can had, that had some doubts, uh, some agnostics. You could have in the days of, of the scholars before, like in the days of Ibn Taymiyyah, people that they call Zanadiqa, heretics. They could have some doubts about uh, some issues about the religion, but they were not uh, materialistic atheists, that they only believe in in uh, materialistic material things and so on, and they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in jinn, they don't believe in all of these things. Usually, they had some foundations, but they 
they had problems with other things in, in the religion and so on. And then atheism, when it started to come up in, in France about 250 years ago, uh, uh, it was in the beginning it was philosophers in France that started like started to spread doubts about uh, religion and they started to spread atheism. And then it branched in different different ideologies, sometimes political ideologies and sometimes different uh, scientific theories adapted atheism and they made atheism in, in their own way. So you had like uh, uh, communists, they had their kind of atheism. And then you have uh, liberalists, they have their, their kind of atheism. Even though it goes back to the same principles, it can uh, manifest in different ways. So today you can see people that have some kind of atheistic beliefs, but they have different uh, scientific convictions and they have different uh, political convictions and different uh, philosophical convictions and so on. So they the, the differ between themselves. So you can't say all atheists are the same. Even like you spoke about before, the, the four horsemen that you call the, the new atheist, uh, Christopher Hitchens, he was originally a Marxist. He was a, a socialist. And you have the others, like Richard Dawkins, is, the, is a liberal. And you have, they, are, they themselves are not upon one thing. So they differ between themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting. I read this, uh, uh, one of our teachers here, he's also from Madina Scott, a um, uh, graduate. So he thought he was saying that relationship between a, a, a broken home to atheism. So he was quoting a book by Paul Witts, I believe, about the, the faith of the paddlers. Yeah? Can you tell us a bit more about that, uh, Sheikh? Like, how does that uh, yeah, links to atheism? Uh, yeah, I think most people, when it comes to, to atheism, uh, I think there are psychological factors behind their atheism, especially when they come from, from Muslim families. Uh, when people come from from an atheistic family, a lot of them, like I said in Sweden, a lot of them they just grow up in a society and in a family where religion is not important, so they don't really care about these subjects. But if someone is living in a Muslim family, or living in a Christian family or a religious family, and then <clears throat> decides to become an atheist or leave religion, usually there are different psychological factors behind that. And Paul Witz is a professor in psychology in the USA. And he brought about a theory, what is called the faith of the fatherless, where he said that he studied the biographies of the most famous atheists throughout history. And he saw that most of them had problems with their fathers. So he tried to make some kind of link between the problems with their father, either that the father died or they were neglected and they didn't care about them when they were young, or they were hitting them, doing bad things to them and so on. So this became some kind of reaction against what their fathers did to them and so on. The theory that he has uh, to try to find psychological factors behind atheism, it's good. And I think that in many cases, it go back to a bad upbringing, especially if they come from religious homes. You can see some atheists that came from really religious homes uh, and then they became atheists. I, I think it can uh, it can be true in sometimes, but the problem with Paul Witz, he's a, he's a Christian. So he tried to explain uh, the belief in God with the, pro uh, the, the lack of belief in God in a, in a problem with problems with the father, because they as Christians, they speak about God as a heavenly father. 
So they say, oh God, he's my father and so on. So they try to make the link between that and uh, belief in God. So him trying to find uh, psychological factors behind this belief, behind atheism, I think it's a very important kind of study that you could do. But his explanation, I think, is quite linked to Christianity. So we should be careful when it comes to uh, psychologists when they try to explain things throughout their theories. And I think there can be some Freudian, uh, you have Sigmund Freud, who's uh, like the mm -hmm. father of psychoanalysis. Uh, he, he used to speak about also like, when well, your father is dead and what it happens, or your mo mother and the relation between the son and the... They have their whole philosophy when it comes to these things. So uh, I think a Muslim should be careful when it comes to some of the theories, when it comes to this subject. But I think he's right when it comes to that most problems really go back to psychological factors, especially when people are young, and that they have some kind of problem. They have a problem with the imam of the mosque, or they have a problem with... Uh, their fathers and their mothers being too harsh on them when it comes to religious stuff and so on. So it becomes some kind of psychological reaction against religion because of things in their in their past. Uh, I think that's true. But And then they try to say that I became an atheist just because it's more rational, it's more logical, it's like this mm -hmm. and that. But in the end, if you really try to look uh, what, what the real reason is, you will find other things. And this is quite interesting, what is called psychobiographies, that you can study biographies of people uh, on a psychological level. So you can study the, 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 the biography of different famous people uh, from a psychological level. So you can see how their convictions came about, uh, if they become a, a religious person or non-religious person or political activist or anything. Usually you can find things that happen in his life and it developed to, to the kind of convictions that he had. Sure. And also give like a timely, timely reminder for, for Muslim parents to, to really nurture their, their, their children in the best possible way. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, especially when, when uh, anything... Find balance too, because uh, sometimes uh, try to force them too much with things can lead to the opposite. Uh, like if you try to uh, force someone too much with something and he really doesn't want it, in the end, it can lead to uh, some kind of uh, uh, opposite reaction. So he becomes like a rebel. He wants to do everything in the opposite to his parents. So you have to find some kind of balance. You can't leave them without doing things, without nurturing them, without educating them. And at the same time, being too harsh and forceful on your kids can lead to, to opposite, uh, opposite reactions. Has there been any, any research done like to see the extent of uh, atheism uh, towards the Muslim population, is there any any uh, any latest research on that? Research on what? On uh, how the extent of atheism uh, towards the Muslim population. How they try to preach atheism to? to... Yeah, yeah. How, how I mean how how much Muslim are affected by by atheism? Oh, I mean, how many? The shubhat, how how that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the problem that there are some there are some statistics, and usually these statistics uh, are. Uh, uh, I read about some of the statistics that they made and they try to spread these things. Sometimes there are atheists behind them and they try to spread it in a way to make it seem like atheism is really, really spreading in the Muslim uh, Muslim world. I can take an example. Uh, it's a famous research that they made 
about Saudi Arabia, and they said that 5% of Saudi Arabia's population is atheist. So I was really surprised, and I thought, like, how can they say 5%? And I went back to the study, and they say they only asked 500 persons inside of Saudi Arabia. So 500 uh, persons, that's, that's really nothing. And I asked the person working with statistics in Saudi Arabia, and he said that this research cannot have been conducted uh, legally in Saudi Arabia. So they had to ask someone, they had to ask people uh, in a non-official way. So, okay, how did they ask them? They did not publish the way, the method that they used to ask people. Maybe if you go and ask people in a country, uh, most of them lived in the West a long time. You try to contact them and they're living outside of the West. Maybe you will find 5% that, that are atheistic, but does that really represent the whole population or not? That's another thing. So there are some statistics, uh, but I haven't found until now really uh, accurate uh, statistics about this subject that really represent the, that really representative. Uh, and it will be good to know. It will be good to know more. But uh, you can see, especially on social media, you can see some channels and you can see how they're working on, on Twitter and Facebook and so on. So you can see that th there is a problem there. there. Some things are happening, but how widespread it is, it's very hard to say. And I think that the problem usually is not about the hardcore atheism, the new atheism that they have in the West. Usually the problem is more uh, about modernization and globalization. So uh, the, the gap between the older generation and the new, younger generation. Uh, people, they grow up with traditional values in their families, and then they go out on social media, uh, they see the world, they look at films, they go and travel outside and so on. And then they start to get confused because of uh, how fast everything is changing in the, the modern world and the whole globalization thing. So if you go back 100 years ago in, in Malaysia or in Saudi Arabia or in a Muslim country, most people, they were living on the countryside, uh, the people around them or uh, Muslims uh, that they used to meet. So they were not like exposed to doubts. They're not exposed to other cultures and, uh, and other religions and so on. And even if they met people from other religions, it was quite distinct. They are living there and we are living here. Like you had in Malaysia, you had British colonization. You can see the clear difference. Okay, they are colonizers and we are Malaysian. It's a, it's a difference here. But yep. today, no, everything yeah. is uh, globalized. So it's mm -hmm. the whole world became like a small village. You meet people mm -hmm. through social media. You might even have contact, uh, like a greater amount of contact with people living in, in another country than you have with your own, own family or your own relatives okay. and so on. You meet people through games. You meet people through uh, when you study, go to conferences, you study outside in your company, you meet people you, in school, university. It's uh, all of these things might lead to confusion. Uh, so I think this is actually the, the bigger problem today and not the hardcore atheism that is spreading. This is what Trump. I think. This is what I saw. Sometimes, yeah, like, like, like for Muslim countries, Muslim population, yeah, because of the, the level of uh, TV that uh, social media they're exposed to, yeah. So they always got this idea that, like, like, like uh, usually atheism are, are, 
our Western cultures, and, and they are portrayed quite favorably on the TV. Yeah, so they, they think that it's it's actually uh, it's actually good to embrace that culture. But when you have a deeper deeper look into into the whole system of atheism, it's pretty much not sustainable. Yeah. So for instance, like like China, I mean, perhaps it's a different type of atheism. But in terms of growth, like uh, the growth actually doesn't it's not growing. Whether either it's by force or is it by by personal will will uh, willpower a choice free choice. Is the, the population is not growing, and then it becomes more materialistic. But but as uh, as uh, Muslim youth, sometimes they're not exposed to to the aftermath, the the, the long term impact of atheism. How does it look like? Uh, so this is something I think uh, also like a uh, Muslim youth is, is is lacking that this knowledge. Yeah. 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 And I think also like some people, some Muslim youths, uh, there are some uh, uh, problems that we can see. One of them is the minority complex that uh, in some Muslim countries uh, where they are poor and they have uh, they have a lot of problem with backwardness and so on, they look at other countries, like you said, China and, and some Western countries, and they see that they are not believers and they have more of the dunya. They have more materialistic things and so on. They look up to them and they get affected in that way. That's one thing. Uh, but... Uh, this is all only dunya things. They're only looking at uh, like uh, uh, tunnel, uh, materialistic, like a tunnel. You mean? Yeah, they, no, it's not like the tunnel. They're only looking at things that they're not Michelle. looking at how they are, how they live inside, how, how they feel mm, inside, okay. how the whole family constellations are, the problems that they, like you said, the problems that they meet. They see the picture on television. They see the high buildings. They see the innovations and so on. And they they only see uh, things that they can, they show through television mm. and so on. Mm. But they don't yeah. know the reality how people are living, how people are feeling inside. What really atheism make with your mental health and what it make to you as a person, what it makes to societies and so on. You have all of these countries that have uh, where the atheistic and secular and feministic ideologies are spreading they have a lot of big big problems when it comes to family constellations they they are not uh, having enough children so uh, and mm. there are they're going to be huge impacts on their economy on, on their society because of that thing uh, because you mm. have uh, much more elders than you have people that can support for them and so on so you have a lot of uh, big problems inside of families, how people feel and so on. And usually persons living in the Muslim country, they don't see these sides of atheistic and secular ideologies. They usually only see uh, the other things, the materialistic things that they might be affected on. Sheikh, I have a question on this uh, idea of globalization. Yeah. So one of the challenges that we see affecting the Muslim youth today, as you highlighted, is that they feel more, the more educated they feel, the more intelligent, they get exposed to all these different media and so on. They get this culture shock. They have their experience, this cult identity crisis. So they meet, they feel more and more inclined to question the religion, challenging, rejecting aspects of the religion. They feel like it's the most oh, intelligent or rational thing. They feel like they don't need religion. But subhanAllah, like just reflecting back on what uh, you're sharing so far, clearly like in your case, after extensive research in religion, it's quite the opposite effect. That the more you studied Islam, the deeper you went, the more you realized how rational it was. So maybe yeah. just coming back to us, like if we have like the listeners out there who have family members who are struggling with this, what sort of advice would you give these people who are struggling with this identity crisis and this idea about rationality and challenging religion? 
Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I think uh, one, like, like you mentioned, that people, when they start to study more and they get more critical uh, thinking, critical questions, this is really how you study science today. You study science by making critical thinking, and that might be good uh, when it comes to innovations, when it comes to nat natural sciences and so on. But I think it's important for you as a Muslim, for us as Muslims, to have to really understand Islamic epistemology, how, where you find, where you find knowledge in different things. So, and how you study knowledge and what is certain knowledge and what is not certain knowledge and so on. So you can find, okay, uh, I can think in a critical way when it comes to natural sciences. I can think in a critical way when it comes to science and so on. But thinking in a critical way when it comes to the basic tenets of your faith, no, you should not think in a critical way here because this, these are things that mm -hmm. are based on, it's not based on the same kind of uh, methods that you have when you seek knowledge about scientific subjects and so on. So trying to find basis on how you gain knowledge, how you study knowledge, how you understand the difference between critical thinking in some subjects and not critical thinking in other subjects and so on. I think this is very, very uh, important. And also that uh, those who make dawah, try to make dawah in a way that you can speak to people that are not so educated and that you also speak to people that are more educated mm -hmm. and you bring about the topics, the modern topics that they struggle with or the identical uh, crisis that you mentioned and so on. Uh, they will try to... Uh, like speak about these subjects because in some countries people are making dawah uh, they are most focusing on uh, like giving more they're giving some speaking about some subjects in a in an easy way that might not really relate to people who are more more educated and so on mm -hmm. so i think it's very important that people making dawah you have to make dawah for people who are not so educated and also you have to have some kind of dawah for people that are more educated and teach them how to tackle with these issues and so on. And I think, inshallah, your podcast uh, might be good for, for, for that subject specifically. Oh, I mean, I mean, inshallah. Uh, okay, Sheikh, uh, just, uh, let's just uh, back it up a little bit. Uh, we, we mentioned, uh, sorry, you mentioned that um, one of the things that attracted, you know, the youngsters to, to, to embrace atheism, so, so to speak, is like they view it as, um, some sort of uh, like a rational or a rational religion, if you if you like, right? So um, my question is, what is what is rational and what is is Islam rational? Or I guess in other words, like is Islam Islam uh, founded uh, the, the foundation of Islam? Is it rational? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. When it comes to uh, what what is rational thinking and what is not rational thinking. Uh, I, I think that everyone wants to be called uh, rational. So every, all people from different religions and different ideologies, they want to call themselves uh, rational. And no one wants to be called irrational. Uh, so I, I think that how people use the word uh, rational today is quite subjective. So a Christian will say, no, Trinity is really rational. It's really rational to believe in that. And then a Hindu will say, no, believing in millions of gods, it's rational. And then an atheist will say, no, it's rational. So uh, 
this word became something that everyone wants to ascribe to, but uh, they differ between themselves what is really called rational thinking. And you can even see people working with philosophy uh, uh, where they studied things about rational thinking and logics and so on. They differ between themselves. What is rational thinking and what is not rational thinking? And th this is their speciality, what they're working with. So it is quite hard to say, okay, this is true rational thinking because it's usually something that people say, that people ascribe themselves to, and they try to describe other people that they are, or people of other faiths that they are irrational. So atheists say, no, we're rational, and uh, believers are irrational. And then you will see Christians when they are refuting, uh, they're, they're refuting uh, atheists, they'll say, no, they, they are irrational and we are rational and so on. Uh, but I do think that there are some bases, some principles that most people will agree upon, uh, like the law of uh, causality, that everything that starts to exist has to have uh, uh, a cause, uh, has to have something that caused it, uh, or the law of contradiction, contradiction that something uh, can't be and not be at the same time. So you can't say, I have a computer in front of me and I do not have a computer in front of me at the same time. So I think there are some basic principles that most people will agree upon that they are uh, logical principles that we can all agree upon. Uh, but in many instances, people just ascribe themselves to different things, but uh, it's not really true. And if, you see, if we look at these two principles, uh, law of causality and law of contradiction, we can see that the two most famous faiths today, uh, Christianity and atheism or secular thought, really goes against that because atheists today, they say that the universe started to exist and the planets and the sun and the moon and everything started to exist and they say they have no creator. And this is irrational. This is irrational by their own principles to say that something started to exist without a creator. The whole great vast universe and the sun and the moon and the galaxies and everything inside it started to exist without uh, a creator. That's irrational. But based on their own principles that they use when they're speaking about rationality. And Christians, they, if you look at the law of contradictions, they say we believe in one God and at the same time the God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And the father is not the son, and the son is not the father. This is this is a contradiction. This is a contradiction. And we, if we look at these basic principles that people use, we can see that Islam is rational in accordance to that, because Islam believes that everything started to exist has a creator. So uh, the universe has to have a creator, and there has to be a purpose, and uh, there is no contradictions in Islam like we find in uh, in Christianity and so on. So I think that, uh, and like I said, this was one of the main reasons why I became a Muslim, that uh, Islam is truly a rational religion. It's truly a rational religion. And not just like people today, they ascribe themselves to rationality, but not really rational. So, and we can also see that Islam, in many instances, uh, calls us to use our uh, rational thinking, uh, what is called aql in Arabic. Uh, use your your intellect, uh, reflect upon the heavens and the earth, reflect upon the things that we see around us and so on. Uh, so Islam really uh, tells us to use our rational thinking and our intellects in many different instances. So 
uh, Islam is in that way uh, the basis of Islam is a, a it is about rational religion. But then we as Muslims we say that there are some things that we can't grasp with our intellects. So when it comes to uh, believing that there is a creator and that the creator has some attributes, yeah, we can grasp that with our intellects, but we can't understand how the attributes are with our intellects and our rational thinking, because that is outside of what we can grasp with our intellects and with our thinking. So I think at this end, there can also be things in uh, different forms of uh, ibadat, different forms of uh, uh, worships in Islam that you can't grasp just by rational thinking. So uh, when we go to Mecca, uh, uh, we make tawaf seven times. Uh, that's not against rational thinking. It's not against logic. But at the same time, we can't grasp really the wisdom. Okay, why do we make seven times and not eight times and not six times and so on. We as Muslims, we say because Allah has ordered us with that. This is our creator and he He ordered us to do that. So it's rational for us to do what our creator wants from us. But for us to understand with our intellects, okay, why do we pray Dhuhr four times and not five times? Why do we do sujood two times and so on? No, it's not up to us to understand these things with our intellect, we say, no, this is something that Allah ordered us with, so we do it. So, uh, and that's rational in the in, uh, 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 the basic thinking of that is rational, but someone might say, an atheist might say, no, this is ir irrational and so on. But it's not really that. You have to understand the whole concept and, and how Muslims think about that. She can add something to that. Yeah. It was a, a, a bit on a light, lighter note, yeah, Sheikh. Like, for instance, I think one of the... Uh, uh, failure to understand by by atheists and agnostic is that they couldn't they couldn't uh, understand that a creator and his creation shares doesn't are totally different. They, they are totally different, yeah. Because they keep on saying that if we are created by God, then who created God? But but the, the irony is in 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 their in in their day to day they can distinguish they, they can distinguish the creator and the create and the creation. So for instance, like a it was an office uh, discussion, but uh, it kind of stopped. It kind of get heated up. But but one guy came in and say, hey. Uh, if the if the baker bakes the cake, then who bakes the baker? <laughs> they, oh, yeah, that's true. Because baker and cake are two different things. So if the God created his creation, God and creation are two different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 for real. And also, you have to understand how to ask questions. If you ask the wrong question, uh, you will not get an answer. And this is what atheists do sometimes. So if I would ask someone, who, who does not have kids, and I will say, what's the name of your kids? And he say, I don't have a kid. I say, no, I asked you a question. What, what's the name of your kids? No, it's a dumb question because you're asking someone who does not have a kid, what's the name of his kids? So to get the right answers, you have to ask the right questions first. And this is one of the basic problems where people can get doubts sometimes. They're asking the wrong questions. They're looking at the wrong places. They try to find... Mm -hmm. Uh, things by not really understanding how to ask the questions first. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really profound. Yeah, mashallah. Yeah. I think you say, you know, we, we, we need to educate ourselves with 
even asking questions, you know, we need some sort of education, right? Because we can't just ask whatever that, that comes into our mind. It, we might get a different answer, right? That might confuse us, as, as you said. Yeah, like some people say today that there are no <laughs> dumb questions. It can be dumb questions. It can be dumb questions. <laughs> be dumb questions. <laughs> you have to understand how to ask the right questions. And this is, mm. this is really a basic science too. Like if you ask the wrong questions, you will not do good science. Uh, if, you, if you ask the wrong questions, you will not reach the, the right conclusions. So knowing how to ask questions is, uh, is knowing half of the answer. If you ask the wrong question, you will not reach the answer. So uh, I think this is one of the, the main problems. And also uh, what is called in Arabic, uh, you have like chaotic mm -hmm. thinking today because there are so many influences at the same time. You get influences from different social media and from school and from television and so on. So you get so many impressions at the same time, and this can lead to chaotic thinking, not to know how to think in a, in, a, in a straightforward methodological way. Like before, when you used to study, most of the impressions that you had was from school. So you started from the beginning and you went further and further and further and so on. Now you get influences even before you go to school from YouTube and from here, from there and so on. There are so many impressions at the same time. This can lead to chaotic thinking and to asking these kind of questions. That's coming from the chaos theory, correct? Now, chaos yeah. theory is more in the, it's a scientific theory when it comes to, uh, uh, it's not really the same thing, but it's okay. more, more the, the problem with, Chaotic thinking is a big problem in this age. Okay. That that just goes to show, Chef, that uh, how important it is to to some uh, sort of uh, plant the correct aqidah in in our children from a very young age, so, so that when they grow, as they grow, and then you know uh, they they will they will come to an age where you know you can't really control them anymore, right? You can't. You just have to let them be. They can think for themselves, and they can have the, the the tool the right tools to sift you know all this uh, sift through all this you know chaotic thinking so uh, what are you, what is your advice uh, on that note what is your advice when it comes to you know to uh, to raise our, our children you know um, what are, what is your advice maybe what are they like specific subjects that we should teach them so on and so forth inshallah uh, yeah it's a very big subject to speak about raising yeah, kids yeah. especially at this age uh, I think that if we want to educate our kids with the correct aqidah and the correct faith and morals and so on, the, the first thing that we have to do is to, to learn ourselves. We have to gain knowledge ourselves because how can we teach them if we don't have knowledge ourselves? So this is very important. And also that we really see uh, the challenges today uh, and it leads us to feel la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. We really need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask him for help. Uh, because uh, there are so many challenges today. If we try to think we think that we can make it by ourselves, I will do like, uh, no, we, we need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have, make, have to make a lot of dua. Uh, but at the same time, we have to strive. And I think that especially in our age, uh, we need really to put effort and time on this uh, raising kids uh, to think that there are quick solutions that kids they will get impressions through school through friends through social media through television 
and through different games and so on. And then we will give them uh, one hour a week to sit down with them and speak to them about some things. And then we leave them at the name. Uh, people, human beings are not workers that, uh, in that way. We have to give them time. We have to sit down with them. We have to speak with them. And we have to uh, have a great understanding of, of the new challenges for the new, for, for new, for, 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 for kids today. Because if we think about when we were raised, uh, there are a lot of new things that our parents did not know about. And today the world is changing so much, especially when it comes to technology and all of these things that there are so many new things and we have to realize what is really happening. What's the new things that happens? What, what are the new impressions that our kids get and so on? Uh, I read about the phone. It took, when they invented the phone the first time, it took 75 years until 100 million people started to use the phone. And when Instagram started, it took two years until 100 million people downloaded Instagram. So, so things are happening really, really fast today. New things, new apps, new social media, new thoughts that are spread. You can see different thoughts that are spread today, different ideologies that are spread have today what is called the transgender theory and mm, uh, transgender right. movement that they say that you can re you can't really know about uh, if you're a man or a woman and everyone can decide but it's, uh, this was impossible when i was young no one spoke about these things mm. today it's it's they're spreading it through films they're spreading it through disney films for kids uh, yeah, th yeah, these yeah. kind of uh, ideologies so new things new challenges and if we want to raise our kids we have to realize the new challenges that they need so we can speak to them on the level of things that they understand and what they see and the impressions they get yeah i think that, that that's very very important today and also right. people making doubt that we tackle these issues uh, you can't live to speak. You can't live in a like live in the past. You're speaking about things and people today. They're like you speaking here and they're living over there. You have to speak with people what they what what are the challenges today. At the same time, you have to educate them in the the correct aqidah and the correct manhaj and all these things. But we have to understand what are the new things that are out there today. Uh, shirk kufr are coming in, in different costumes, different ways, different uh -huh. clothes, uh, all of the time. It was in one way a hundred years ago and another way a thousand years ago, and today there are new ways and so on. So, yeah. SubhanAllah. And on that note, Sheikh, I, I really believe that, you know, there are books like uh, uh, written by the, the scholars of the past or even the uh, from the Muasirin, uh, from the scholars of uh, the, the, the era today, like uh, they have, they have gone through you know the Quran and the Sunnah, and they have um, pointed out you know points, uh, principles that we that are very extremely useful for us to, to, uh, to, 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 to understand you know the basics of shirk. So that inshallah, if our children they were educated educated with uh, uh, these books in, in in one in way in one way or another, inshallah they can inshallah they can make it through. Uh, you know, the, the modern times uh, with the help of Allah Azza wa So, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's very important to to base education and base da'wah on principles. So you have fast principles that you go from, from 
if you understand the principle of what is kufr, what is shirk, what is things that are haram, then you can apply them on, on the new things. But we have to understand the new things and the new things that are happening around us. Sorry. Sheikh, also, also if you don't mind, just make a call back to a point that you made early on, uh, that people choose atheism as a reaction to the psychological factors that they faced in the past. Maybe it's the trauma, maybe it's the family. SubhanAllah, I find that quite profound. I did hear in a, in a, in a talk somewhere that, it, that people think that it, right, atheism is this intellectual, rational thinking, but it, in fact, in many cases, it's not rational at all. It's in fact very emotional, ironically. <laughs> and in this case, uh, as you highlighted oh, earlier on. Very, very emotional. It's usually mm. very emotional, but they try to look as they are rational. And you can <laughs> see that some people, when the, the reason actually why they became atheists are really, uh, really small things that happened in, in their past. And so, uh, and then they try to put the clothes on that they are rational and so on. And uh, yeah. Yeah. SubhanAllah. And like you mentioned as well, like even the psychologists they were studying, like it was the father issues that led them to overcompensating to the other extreme. And I think it's very interesting. I'm trying to relate all these issues together and advice about parenting and how we want to raise children. I think that that emotional aspect and how we tie them to Islam, to ground them in, in to, to love their deen, I think that's also an aspect that we need to emphasize as our youth as well. Is that right, Shah? Yeah. And you can actually see when we look at the Quran, we read the Quran and we really reflect upon the verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the kuffar, you can see that he described them with uh, kibr, that they uh, they look down on others, they are thinking too much about themselves, they have things inside of their hearts, and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really speaks about these things. If we reflect upon the verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Fir'aun, kuffar, Quraysh, and so on, uh, Jews, what was the reason why they did not accept the message? and so on. And usually there are psychological factors that, that they are described with, especially mm. when it comes to kibbutz, that people look down on others and they don't they don't want to accept the truth because it goes against what their uh, ancestors to have and so on. And it's not really uh, hard doubts that people have. There are more psychological factors. And then they use these things to, to argue and to to try to justify why they're doing what they are doing. Mm, mashallah. Mashallah, it's emotional, right, Sheikh? It's just... In many ways, yeah. Uh, usually, yeah. One of the most common doubts that they say is that they speak about, okay, why are people suffering? Why there are so much suffering in the world and so on? Uh -huh. I had a, a talk about that on blogging theology, if someone wants to listen. Because this is, yeah. I think this is the main doubt that people have to, among atheists today. They speak about uh, these things. Some people are more scientific in their approach. They want to speak about Darwinism and so on. But this is one of the main things that they're speaking about, suffering in the world and so on. Because this is something that you really can feel. It's emotional. You can, see, you can feel that you hurt yourself. You have a disease or someone of your kids died or someone is close to your relative and so on. So this is affecting persons emotionally and it can lead people to, to these things. So it's really important that we understand Aqid in a correct way and also understand how to think about these things in a correct way. Can that be also be like a byproduct? By because um, some of them, I, I believe, are from Christian background where they attribute uh, Allah with only the love criteria uh, attributes, yeah? And then when you see suffering, it's, it's totally against uh, yeah. most, most merciful, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, it's it's in the Bible, and this is uh, it's in the Bible that they say God is love. Not one of the attributes of God is love. Is He is God. He is an attribute of of uh, of love, uh, and that's quite strange. And at the same time, they're saying that Jesus loves everyone, and God loves everyone, and God loves even those who do not believe in Him, and so on. And then you see people that are suffering and so on. So it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. But in Islam, it's like, no, God can get angry on people. God can punish people and so on. So it's much easier for us to understand. And also that <coughs> our life is a test where you see the things that uh, you put emphasis on that God is wise and he does everything with a wisdom. He's not only speaking about love all of the time like Christians, it's much easier. It's like opens up the box to understand all of these things. So it's it's really under, important to understand the aqidah and how to think about these issues. Inshallah. <laughs> and also, the, I think your point is not shared because I think like, to, to be like the, the failure to understand uh, the six pillars of Islam uh, failed. Yeah, they, they couldn't, and something bad goes to them, they, they couldn't understand what is the, 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 the function of faith. Yeah, like the, the good and the bad, the, the bad faith. Yeah. The wisdom yeah. behind it, yeah. To understand the qadr is, 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 is very important when it comes to that. Inshallah, tabarakallah. All right, uh, Sheikh Huna, uh, inshallah, we may proceed to the next section where, uh, inshallah, we're, we're all excited to know, um, you know, your uh, is there any up, upcoming projects that you are, you're currently working on? Like, is there a book that's going to be published soon? Or workshops that may uh, you, you, you're going to hold, uh, you know, in, in any time in the future, inshallah. Is there anything that we can uh, look forward to, inshallah? Uh, I will go to Sweden now uh, after two weeks, inshallah, and I will stay there for about two months. And uh, when I'm in Sweden, usually I, I make a lot of dawah over there, but it's usually in Swedish, so it's not going to be anything in English. Uh, I'm writing a book now. Uh, it's going to be about. Um, it's a basic dawah book for non-Muslims or for atheists that I'm working on. It's going to be about 50 pages. It's going to be in Arabic, but it's going to be translated to different uh, languages. And one of the languages in, uh, is in English, inshallah. So this is one of the projects that I'm working on. And I'm working on uh, different Arabic projects too. So it's more like uh, going to benefit people in, in the Arabic language. And I hope maybe... I've been saying that for a long time that I will start to give the courses that I had in Arabic and English. And, <laughs> inshallah, so. inshallah, Sheikh. Inshallah, Sheikh. We're happy to help you, inshallah, uh, if, if, Allah, if there's yeah, any way. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, inshallah. Yeah. And also, Sheikh, uh, you mentioned that you, you're writing a book, right? Um, 50 pages or so in Arabic. Um, have you ever, uh, did you, uh, would you consider, I mean, would you consider for us to maybe translate it to Bahasa Melayu or in the Malay language, inshallah? Or is it already in? In the plans, yeah, inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. <laughs> if someone wants to translate it, so, <laughs> that would be good, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah, uh, we would love to. We would love to, inshallah. So, mashallah, we're looking forward to for, for all these things, inshallah. And uh, another thing we would like to ask you is that you know anything from your current passion, what you're passionate about uh, uh, currently, um, meaning is there a, a a passion project that you are you you're working on right now that you may find beneficial as as advice, as an advice to, to, to the listeners, inshallah. Uh, 
yeah, I'm working with different projects at the same time. Uh, one of the things that I started to read about more, uh, you maybe saw that I spoke about that today, is uh, psychology of religion. How uh, mm. the relation between psychology uh, and religion. And I'm actually studying that on two different universities at the same time, uh, sure. like online courses. And I think it's a very in, in, interesting subject, especially that we can see some of the scholars, they spoke uh, about subjects that are related to psychology, even if it was not called psychology before. So you see in the books of Ibn al-Qayyim, he was speaking a lot about uh, the hu human emotions and how we gain knowledge and how we understand things and things that are really uh, related to psychology. So understanding these basic uh, the, the basic relation between how people think and their emotions and why they become religious or why they become atheists, uh, I think it's a very, very in, uh, interesting subject. And I want to study more about that and to learn more about that and speak more about that. Because I th think sometimes when people are um, speaking about or oh, refuting atheism, even ex uh, refuting extremism, uh, people are extreme and so on, they focus too much on the doubts itself and they don't see the basic factors that are the problems behind them. And mm -hmm. I think that we need to attack the basic problems with people more uh, and to really understand why people get doubts. What is the basic things that led them to that? And if we can understand that, I think we can tackle these problems more. Because like I said, some people, they are only speaking about doubts as justifications for other things. So if we can go to the basic, the, ba the root of the problems with people uh, and try to attack them and approach them, I think we can uh, tackle the problems better, inshallah. Inshallah. Mm, Sheikh, something that triggered my mind recently, uh, I heard about this as well, there's a study about this, that people study the psychology of people who join cults and even white supremacist groups and all these heretical groups usually have some sort of emotional trauma that they're trying to escape from. So they have deep-rooted psychological reasons why they're doing it. It's nothing to do with the facts or the actual heretic, heretical beliefs itself. <laughs> Is that related to what you're really learning about? It's like that. And it's also important to understand that we can be affected uh, when we study social, social psychology very easily by our surroundings also. So if someone joined these kind of cults or start to hang around with them, uh, you get affected very quickly. And this is something that the Salaf used to speak about, how dangerous it is who you sit with. Because mm, we as human yeah. beings, we all try to in imitate uh, people who are... Uh, around us and so on so if you start to hang around with people you will adapt the kind of values that they have or the kind of uh, that they have and so on and we can actually see that the scholars used to speak about these issues before and this is the same thing today it's, it's just repeating itself so people start to hang around with people like when it comes to the extremist group and so on then they get affected and then they get dragged in and so on and it starts after that Subhanallah. It's really profound, Sheikh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. You mentioned that you you read uh, previously. You mentioned that you read uh, some books uh, regarding you know uh, atheism and so on. So I, I would just like to uh, ask for your recommendation, uh, recommendation, Sheikh. Uh, perhaps the viewers or the, the listeners out there they might want to uh, do their own reading with regards to you know um, understanding. Uh, atheism or how to 
refute uh, refute atheism in the in the light of Islam, so on and so forth. Are there any books, uh, uh, preferably in in English, inshallah, um, that the, the listeners and the, the the viewers out there might might, might find it uh, very beneficial for them to read it, inshallah. Uh, what I have seen, uh, unfortunately, uh, that there are not so many good books in English mm-hmm. by Muslims refuting atheism. Uh, you can see oh. in Arabic, there are many books, alhamdulillah, good books. Uh, you can see in English, there are many books written by Christians that refute, uh, that refute atheism. And they can be good books, but the problem is with Christians that... They refute atheism and they call people to Christianity at the same time. Yeah, okay. uh, there are not many good books. And I think this is really strange. Like we have millions of Muslims all around the world that knows English, and many of them have studied uh, Islamic knowledge and so on. Why don't we find more books mm-hmm. written in English by Muslim scholars or students tackling these issues? Uh, I, I think it's a problem. There's one book that I think is quite good, uh, Refuting Atheism, it's called Divine Reality by Hamza Sources. It's a quite good book. It's translated to Arabic after that. Uh, it's one of the few books that I saw that really tackles atheism uh, in a good way in English. Other than that, I did not find many books uh, written uh, by like scholars or people really understanding Islam uh, that are refuting uh, atheism. But I don't, I don't know so much about uh, the books in the uh, English. I, I can't say that I know all of the books. But what I've seen, it's not, it's not that much. Inshallah, but, but what what a person can do is to read more to understand his own creed. There are many mm. books about the Islamic creed to understand the Islamic creed and so on. But to tackle atheism. I don't know if you read books that you think are good, but yeah. Did you read anything in English about that? Yeah, actually, I've read uh, The Divine Reality as well by Hamza Zorzis. And I found it. I think think it's really profound. But uh, perhaps for Malaysians, I think um, those who are, you know, uh, their their, uh, terminologies, maybe perhaps they need to, uh, you know, refer to the dictionary. It's quite philosophical. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, but other than that as well, uh, that's why uh, that's why we wanted to know if you have uh, anything that you came across, inshallah. But uh, Jazakallah khair for that the recommendation. Perhaps I would also want to know the books in uh, the, in, in Arabic. Uh, perhaps you know now this the Ma'rat Kutub in, in Medina. Perhaps I want to want to buy some, inshallah. There are many books. The Ma'rat. I want. There are many books about refuting atheism in the Arabic language. Mashallah, it's a lot of things. I believe some of them are from the Taqwin, uh, Marcus Taqwin, some of the books, I think they're quite good as well. Inshallah. So, uh, all right, so brothers, let's go to the, the next session, inshallah. Um, you know, sharing some of the insights, uh, Sheikh, like the, the, the questions that we want to ask the, our, our guests. And now it's time for us to ask you uh, some of these questions, inshallah. So what type of legacy do you want to leave behind? Uh, we're here in this world, in this dunya, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, I want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much that I can in this life. And also, when it comes to worship, worship can be something that we do today 
and does not leave anything for uh, like you, I pray today and it does not leave any legacy after that. I want to do something that continue even after I die. So we can see like the scholars uh, today, Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, he wrote a book 1,200 years ago that people every day all around, uh, 24-7 all around the world are studying in different countries. And they say, Qala Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, and they're making dua for him and so on. So this is something that he really left and he is... He's lying in his grave. And you can see just the neighbor of Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah. We don't even know the name. If someone would ask you, well, what's the name of the neighbor of Imam al-Bukhari? Right, lived right next to his house. Maybe the brother of Imam al-Bukhari. No one knows. He did some actions. He worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He fasted and he prayed. But then it finished. By Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, he continued. His, his ajr will continue, inshallah ta'ala. His reward will continue. Because he did things and he left something behind him. So trying to do things that you can leave behind you uh, is extremely important. This is really what I try to do when I'm making da'wah and writing books and so on. MashaAllah, tabarakallah, brilliant answer, MashaAllah. Uh, should be an inspiration for all, all of us to look at the lives of the Salaf, Sheikh, and look yeah. at how, uh, you, know, uh, you know, it affects all of us as Muslims. That we still remember them. From time to time, we read their seerah and whatnot. SubhanAllah, that's a great reminder. Uh, so next next up, Sheikh, um, would you mind sharing us uh, with us an ayah from the Quran or a hadith from the Prophet وسلم, or even an athar uh, from the Salaf, uh, the saying of the Salaf that motivates you the most every day? Uh, yeah, uh, I think a very beautiful hadith by the Prophet وسلم, where he said, احرص على ما ينفعك واستعن بالله ولا تعجزن that uh, focus on the things that really benefits you and seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then do not give up. I think uh, the hadith is longer than that, but especially these things that you, in your life, in my life, that I try to focus as much as possible. We, we only live in this dunya one time and then there is akhirah. So I can focus on different things. Uh, in my in my whole life and in my in my daytime and what I do uh, daily and so on. So try to be focused on the things that really benefit me, really benefit me and I really can do for my religion because there are so many distractions today. I can sit a whole day and watch YouTube and do different, uh, play games and so on. Or I can do something that really benefits me and really benefits the, the Islam, the, the Ummah today. So being focused and seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, never give up. I, I think this is hadith is very, it's, it's very good. It's an inspirational uh, hadith for, for me yeah. in my life. It's awesome, Sheikh. Uh, on that note, Sheikh, maybe, may, may I ask you a question? Like, how do you overcome? Like, uh, there's hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa where he said that, uh, you know, uh, for, for, every for every period of motivation, there's a lack of motivation, right? the mafhum of the hadith so um in in your way your own way how do you overcome this uh you know this this period of uh you know for lack of better words laziness sheikh Allah, i think this is something human uh, this is something human it happens to all of us that sometimes you lose your motivation and sometimes you get more motivated and so on but remembering uh 
myself about uh, the next life uh, that I will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I will be asked for the time. I, I think this is a very, it's a huge motivation that in the end of the day, I will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will ask me. He'll ask me what I did with my life and what I did with my knowledge and how I, what I did with my time and so on. So uh, always trying to find that as a motivation uh, is very important. And so how can the listeners, Sheikh, uh, get in touch with you or your work, Sheikh? Inshallah. Yeah, uh, I have a Facebook and I have an Instagram account. I usually write in Swedish or in Arabic, but sometimes I can write in English, but usually in Arabic or Swedish. Uh, I have a WhatsApp number for uh, for my workplace, but people can write. If people have doubts or they have questions about atheism and so on, I accept questions. I don't know, you might write the number in, uh, it might be easy to you write the number in when you, yeah, uh, yeah. When you publish the video or something like that. I can send Inshallah. you the number. Yeah, inshallah. But uh, for, for the benefit of the brothers here, maybe you can say the numbers quickly, Sheikh, if you don't mind. Uh, 0066. 00066. 44. 44. 619. 619. 5002. 5002. And last but not least, inshallah, uh, we'll give you a fill in the blank question. So you have to answer it with your own words, inshallah, in three minutes or less, or, or we don't mind you answering it more than that, inshallah. So here, here's the question. The key to barakah is? Uh, sincerity to Allah, Azza wa It's a very beautiful story about Imam Malik, rahimahullah. When he wrote Al-Muwatta, which is one of the greatest books that were ever written uh, of Hadith. And it was said to him, uh, we can see other people, they all, uh, also wrote books of Hadith. Uh, so why do you write a new book? Other people, they wrote. So he said, مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ بَقِي مَا كَانَ لِلَّهِ بَقِي What is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will stay. Will, will continue and those others who wrote books in the day of Imam Malik rahimahullah, their books have not been preserved and the book of Imam Malik rahimahullah, is one of the greatest book of hadith so I think the real key to barakah is sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it uh, stay and preserve it and it will continue as a legacy for you uh, after your death so I think that that's the the main key to barakah. There are many keys to barakah, but I think that's the main key to barakah. Inshallah, brilliant, Sheikh. Allah, it's, it's really hard to 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 keep the right intention, Sheikh. Right? So it's a constant mujahada, constant uh, you know fighting against you know to 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 sincerely uh, have that intention for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So, okay, brothers, any uh, any any last uh, you know. Uh, questions or maybe perhaps any statements that you guys want to add on before we okay great Sheikh. very nice well, to yeah, speak cool. to all right thank you so much uh sheikh abdullah swedi um, may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
uh, grant us all, uh, you know, the understanding and thabat or istiqamah, um, you know, to, to tread upon this deen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us, you know, safety in this dunya and hereafter. And once again, alhamdulillah, and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Abdullah, uh, for agreeing to, to appear as a guest on our uh, channel. Uh, for our podcast and we would love for you to to come back inshallah in another time with another topic inshallah discussing uh, uh about something else inshallah for for the benefit of ourselves and for the rest of the viewers bismillah ta'ala allah yubarak fiqh sheikh we'll see you again inshallah um in the near future uh that's all we have uh, for today inshallah and last but not least, we end the session with Tasbih Kafara. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu Allah ilaha ilaha ilaha. Astaghfirullah wa barakatuh. Astaghfirullah wa barakatuh. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu 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 alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barak